0: Welcome to Mind, Body, Spirit, Food. I'm your host, Nikki Sizemore, and in this podcast, we'll explore the rituals, traditions, and cultural influences around food and how they connect us to our minds, our bodies, our spirits, the earth, and our communities. This is a space that's dedicated to bringing more presence, ease, and joy into the process of feeding ourselves. Let's dive in. Hey there, and welcome to episode four. This episode completely expanded me, and I think you're going to get so much out of it. We're going to explore food and our bodies through the lens of Chinese medicine. I interview Emily Morrison, who's the owner and lead practitioner at Valley Spirit Acupuncture and Internal Arts in Beacon, New York. Emily does acupuncture, cranial sacral, Chinese medicine. She is a phenomenal practitioner, and I say this from firsthand knowledge because I've had the joy of working with her myself. In this episode, Emily offers easy, applicable tips for how to nourish ourselves, not only year-round, but also right now, in the middle of winter, as well as as we head into that tricky transition between winter and spring, which for me personally is always the hardest time on my body, and guess what? As Emily (laughs) explains, that's totally normal. I think you're going to walk away with a whole new perspective on how do you honor your body during this season, and how our bodies are so connected to the world around us. As always, if this work resonates with you, be sure to leave a comment or share it. It really goes a long way in supporting the podcast. All right, I can't wait for you guys to listen, so let's dive in. Emily. Hi. Hi, welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad that you're here. And I'm so excited to dive in. I'm going to start with a question that I ask all my guests just for us to get to know you a little bit more. And the question is, what is your cultural upbringing and how did that influence your relationship to food? Yeah, I mean,
1: I I grew up in the U.S. I grew up in Florida, so it's a lot of American culture. However, mm. my my mother is a pediatric dietitian and as a nutritionist, she focused a lot on food. She was in school while she was raising us on her own. And so I was like very much involved with her process around exploring that and her bringing things home and experimenting on us as children. (laughs) And her background, she grew up all over the world. And so she was born in Japan and lived there for a very short time, but then spent a lot of time in Guam and in Australia And so she had some influences from that as far as specifically Asian cuisine that seemed to really be a strong piece of that side of the family. My dad's side of the family was like meat and potatoes and baked goods, you know, Mm -hmm. which was delicious and is delicious as well. So my mom really looked a lot at creating balanced meals. We had milk for every meal, which as a kid I those yeah, days. I, which is like so interesting to me now because I don't drink milk, I don't give my kids mm-hmm. milk, we do right. oat milk and all of that. yep. So it's interesting, but I can see a lot of the similarities in like having vegetables and having meat and having veg- like only vegetable meals and all of these things. Mm-hmm. But she was also a lot more strict around it, like counting calories and like making sure that the portions were specific to a certain degree. And that changed as she went through her progression in her own education, like most people do when they first start school. They're very regimented about doing it the way that it's taught. And then as they explore it themselves, they have a better understanding of what works and what doesn't work because it is individualized, right? Yes. And I feel like with her background and the influences that she had on me, there wasn't a whole lot of space for individuality around diet. It was like, this is what's good for everybody of this age group. This is what's good for everybody of this age group. And there was no talk of seasonal diets or Mm -hmm. local foods as much or even what one body needs versus another body. And because she worked in pediatrics, she worked with very, very, very sick children. So her focus was always around illness that were genetic Mm -hmm. disorders from birth. And so she was working with tiny babies and doing crazy stuff. I mean, like, she's wicked smart and capable of understanding things in a way that I never will from a Western perspective of nutrition. But it's also a very specific lens, you know. Yeah. So it didn't always fit into this grander day-to-day idea of things.
0: Mm, That's so interesting. I was just speaking with somebody this morning about the lens, even of that generation. Was so different and I don't have parents that are nutritionists. However, the idea of the counting the calories and the regimen and the specificity of how we eat, but also, like you said, it was kind of a blanket approach and this was good versus this was bad. It sounds like your mom had a lot more information, which is great, but I get it. Yeah. It's been interesting as an adult and raising my own
1: children and going into Chinese medicine. And exploring nutrition within Chinese medicine a little bit more than maybe another acupuncturist would just because everybody has their own interests. And then discussing things with her and kind of seeing this look on her face like that doesn't compute with Mm. what I've learned. And yet she is more and more open minded and like she's always learning and she's always educating herself, even though she's retired at this point. And nutrition, like all things in medicine, has changed over the years Mm -hmm. within the Western scope of things. And there's more and more focus on diet in a different capacity than it used to be. So there's that connection that we can make. And we come from families that are foodies, you know, like we Mm -hmm. love food. We eat lots of food together. We cook together. My brother's an incredible cook. My mom's an incredible cook. My father was an incredible cook. I like to think I'm a good cook. (laughs) And so food is a very big piece of our family's
0: social dynamics. Exactly. It's so interesting because that's exactly right. Like while we had mixed messages as kids, I think, about food, and I certainly have my own complicated history with food, food is the basis of my family celebration. And it is so fun. The meals that we cook together and that we share together. They are the highlight of any time we get together. So it's just interesting to see how both of those things can ring true. But that leads me to my next question is what led you into acupuncture and your interest in Chinese medicine? Well, uh, that's that's a big
1: question. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I mean, like most things for people, I think that there's a timeline of many different experiences that lead to bigger experiences. And for me, like I got into body work when I was very young, when I was about 23 years old, I'm 40 now, almost 41. And I was in school for art and theater and all of these creative aspects. And I thought I was going to go into art therapy. And I applied to the university for painting specifically. And they're like, your paintings are too flat, you know, (laughs) but we really like your sculpture, but you need one more class and you can reapply next year. And at the same time, I'd been training in ninjutsu, a Japanese martial arts ninjas, because who doesn't want to be a ninja when they're 18 (laughs) or younger or older? And my sensei at the time was the first one to really introduce me to the idea of looking at a body and examining energy. And Mm. so there was, of course, the martial aspect of it, of looking at the body and reading where a person's weaknesses and strengths are, and then feeling chi and meditating and exploring what it feels like in one's own body as well as what it looks like in another person's body, how to move it in another person's body and your own body. And then he really started showing me, showing us, I was the only woman in this class actually. Hmm. And I was 18 when I started with him, how to look at a body and find areas of imbalance as far as illness goes. So he had some people come in. And we each worked with one and we would just sit off to the side and we would look at their body and he's like, scan their body and tell me where you think their illness is. And I immediately went to this woman's liver. I didn't know that's where the liver was at that time. And I just wanted to put my hands there. And so he said, okay, put your hands on this area and then just feel this energy. And so this was like a pretty mind-blowing experience for me. And to have the woman then tell me that she had, I think she had hepatitis. Mm. And so she was having all of these issues and it was all in the areas where I was drawn to. And so it was very validating in that sense. And it was also really intriguing. And so continuing to work with that sensei, he taught me more about placing hands on the body, how to move energy. And he told me, he's like, Emily, I think that you have a future in body work and medicine and I would highly encourage you to go that direction. And so... I didn't. Right then I tried to go to art school. (laughs) And and when that was thrown in my face of like not really being an option right then, I very quickly was like, okay, I'm going to massage school. It was like the door just opened and I was like, okay, I'm going to follow this path. And so I did an intensive six month education in Florida there. And it just started opening up more doors. And while I was in that school, they had a number of classes on Chinese medical theory. And so it was when I first was really told about the five phases or the five elements, as some people say, mm-hmm. and the seasons and all of the corresponding organs to the seasons and the colors and the emotions. And it was just like an inkling, a little mm-hmm. tiny bit of information. And then years go by and I practice as a massage therapist. A couple years go by after I finished that. And I moved out to Portland, Oregon after a few other moves. And about a year after being there, I had been directed towards this specific school that was both martial and medical. And so I started training under that teacher who actually became my husband <laughs> at one point. <laughs> He's now not my husband anymore. But it was this opportunity to really combine this love that I had for martial arts that I had set aside when I moved with this continued interest in medicine. And I was already bored with massage therapy. I was already like, this is not enough for me. This is awesome and I love it, but it's not enough. Mm -hmm. I want to be able to do more. I want to understand more. And so through that association, which is the North American Tong Shidao, I was able to continue my education in martial arts and internal martial arts specifically, which is a very important piece because it's all about chi and using Mm. movement to heal yourself through qigong as well as
0: through martial movement. Can we just stop for a second? Because I know some listeners out there might be wondering, so what is chi? Because you've said it a few times, and I think it would just be good to clarify.
1: Yeah. You know, chi can't really be translated. It has been translated as energy or life force which is probably the best way to describe it. But chi is what provides us with all of the movement in life that we experience. You can see it as the conductivity of our body. It's also in all of the world, you know. So it's in the earth, it's in the plants, it's in anything that's living and giving off an electromagnetic pulse. Mm. So chi moves the blood. So blood is the mother of chi, but chi is the commander of blood. So blood as itself is an inert object. It's heavy, it's thick, it's yin. And qi is this active, moving thing. It's yang. So Mm. now we get into a whole other thing of what is yin and what is yang, which is a big piece of looking at nutritional therapy and Chinese medicine in general. So if we want to get into that, then some simple ways of seeing yin is in the body, it's blood, it's the fluids, it's moisture in nature it's nighttime it's the moon it's quiet it's dark it's soft it's the holding it's usually it's the solid organs as opposed mm-hmm. to the hollow organs the yang is the hollow organs which are mostly, you know the stomach the intestines and so on and so forth the urinary bladder and in nature yang is the sun it's like daytime it's warmth it's action it's some people say masculine while yin is feminine. There's a lot of arguments these days about differentiating them in that sense because of gender identity and yeah. looking at male-female aspects. And so I don't always go that direction, but some people still pretty consistently see yang as masculine and yin as feminine. I mean, the list can go on and on. Okay, you can okay. split anything
0: into yin and yang, essentially. Yes, yeah, but th- I think that's just helping us set the framework as you tell your story. So thank you.
1: Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah. So then in time, I went to Chinese medicine school in Portland and mostly to just get the license. But while I was there, I really learned a lot about herbalism that I wouldn't have learned otherwise, just going through the association, not to the same degree. And of course, like acupuncture techniques and theory and all of that. However, most of my education and most of the techniques that I use and my bodywork that I use is from this association, North American Tong Shidao. So there's a lot of hands-on, feeling the body, feeling the differences in the tissues, feeling cold and heat in the mm. tissues. So yin and yang, feeling excess mm. and deficiency. So really palpating and feeling into the body's chi to recognize imbalances. And then through nutrition, I've done a, some of my own education around it through like continued education and things like that and whatever I learned in school and through my own exploration.
0: It's so interesting as you say that, because certainly my experience with you being on your table, it's so much more hands-on than any other acupuncture I've ever had. Yeah. And it feels more full body than other acupunctures that I've worked with. It kind of just feels like it. Go, you can see, I feel like you can see the entire organism and you're looking at the entire organism, which is so fascinating when I hear about your history, because- it all started with energy, right? Like, mm-hmm. like this fascination with energy as an 18-year-old, yeah. which is just a magical start to this journey because really that's what you work with.
1: Yeah, and specifically with my hands, you know, like it was here is chi and now touch it and mm. feel it with your hands. Put your hands on this body where you're drawn to and then use that ability to understand and to move things, you know? So. There's a lot of acupuncturists and Chinese medicine practitioners who specialize in pulse diagnosis or just in acupuncture or just in herbs. You know, there's all different kinds of directions that people can go. Mm -hmm. And I'll honestly say my pulse diagnosis is infantile. You know, I learned a little bit in school for sure and just from doing it in practice. And it is still palpation, but it's a different level of reading and listening to the body.
0: Mm -hmm. And
1: for me, I diagnose... Not only from listening to a person's story and their manifestations of their illness or whatever they're experiencing, but from feeling their body. Whether it's through light touch work with craniosacral therapy or through the deeper tissue work with Twina, which is like Chinese orthopedic massage. So, yeah, to me, like, it is all about feeling the whole body.
0: But Mm -hmm. a, a pulse diagnosis practitioner could say, I can feel the whole body through the pulse. Right. Well, that's kind of like your superpower. That's what makes you unique and special. And everybody has something that makes them unique and special. So we talk about this concept of qi, of yin versus yang. And as you have explored Chinese medicine, how does some of that come into play with food? So like anything,
1: food also can be differentiated in yin and yang. So like yin is more cooling, yang is more warming. And so you want to look at your foods as such too. So like vegetables, any plant foods are considered more cooling, more yin. They're also more stationary in nature, right? So Mm. yin is not as mobile as yang is. Yang is the active force. Yin is the stationary force. And so it's grounding and rooting down. So plants have that quality in nature. They don't Go anywhere. Mm -hmm. They go up and they go out a little bit, but they're rooted. Whereas animals are very young in nature. They're more warming. Animal meat is more warming in nature. And so it's, they're moving, they're actively Mm -hmm. moving about on the planet, you know? So much of Chinese medicine is looking at the nature and energetic qualities of food or of anything and seeing how it works within nature, what's happening in nature, and how it then reflects in our bodies. Like, our body is seen as a microsystem of the planet. It's all Taoism. So all of Chinese medicine began with the concepts around Taoism. And you can break down every single part of our body and overlay it with the planet. And that's Mm. one of the things that has been lost, I think, in Western medicine and in Western nutritional therapy, is that we're just seen as a separate little thing that is broken down into chemicals and hormones and tissues and whatever, as opposed to seeing, well, like, how does this happen in nature? Mm -hmm. And when it's not working in nature, what happens? You know, and so it's very similar to in our bodies when you actually start exploring it. It's very fascinating.
0: So can you give us an example of that? This is fascinating to me. And I see food from a very energetic place, but not from the angle of Chinese medicine specifically. But if there's so much overlay between how I see food and how I feel food in my body to what you're saying, I guess we'll start here. It's winter, it's cold. How do we support our bodies? How do we know if we're in need of maybe a little bit more yang energy or a little bit more yin energy? How do we tap in? That's a great
1: way to go with it. So if we look at nature... It's winter. So we live in New York. It's cold. Mm -hmm. And all the leaves have fallen from the trees. The animals are more in hiding or hibernating. Everything has slowed down. Everything is quieter. The energy of the earth has moved inward, right? And so, for example, in spring, the energy starts to move outward. Mm -hmm. You see all the leaves come about. But now everything's inward. Everything's slower. Everything's quieter. And it's cold and dark. And so we can replicate that in our own bodies, which is very challenging in this modern day, by moving slower, we tend to sleep more, we tend to have shorter days in our day-to-day thing because there's not as much sunlight. Alongside food, the idea is that we want to stay warm. We want to keep our bodies warm from the inside out to combat the cold weather. If we allow ourselves to get too cold, we get sick. Mm -hmm. You know, common colds, flus, COVID. People would disagree that getting cold would mean that you could get sick. However, in Chinese medicine, that's very much what it's about. Mm -hmm. And it's not so much like there's not pathogens or there's not viruses. It's about maintaining balance in your body to allow for optimal health. So if our bodies get unnaturally cold or get exposed to too much cold or damp, then it weakens our ability to resist illness. Mm -hmm. And so much of this time of the year is about resting. So the energy of the planet has moved inward. The yang of the planet has moved deeper into the planet. So it's resting under the surface, preparing for the next season. And so our bodies do the same thing. Our yang energy moves deeper into our body and it needs to be protected in that place. And Mm. so we're in a more yin time of the year. Winter is associated with the kidneys, which is a yin organ. So each organ is also yin or yang. And they have a pair. So the urinary bladder is the yang pair to the kidneys. And you can see why they would be paired. They both have a lot to do with water. Mm. Their element or their phase is water. So winter is the phase element of water. It's the kidney time of the year and it's the most yin of the year. Mm -hmm. So in that time, we have to protect those things. But because yang is more internal and kind of needs to be protected, we also have to really support yang. So most of the dietary aspects would be warming foods, foods that nourish the kidneys, and also on the side piece nourish the spleen, which I don't need to necessarily get into. But a lot of it is is looking at nature and following that. And so it's also eating seasonally. Like Mm -hmm. it's wintertime, what's growing at this time of the year. Mm -hmm. Mostly what's available are meat and root vegetables. And usually like there can still be like the bitter greens, you know.
0: So are those foods inherently supportive of the kidneys? Those foods that are available? Mm, I love that.
1: Yeah, and also supportive of the spleen. So the spleen and the kidneys have a close relationship. The spleen is a yin organ as well, but they have a close relationship and this is going a little deeper, but that there's pre and postnatal chi. So prenatal chi comes from the kidneys and that is what we come into this world with. Mm-hmm. It's genetics or whatever. Postnatal chi is what we acquire here and the spleen is responsible for that. The spleen and the stomach or the pancreas, some would argue, instead of the spleen, are responsible for taking food in, transforming it and transporting it into usable goods and then transforming it and then transporting it to areas in the body that rule those things. So the kidneys and the spleen are pretty close in that way. And so there's a lot of foods that if you support
0: the spleen, it supports the kidneys. If you support the kidneys, it supports the spleen. That's fascinating and really resonates with my own way of eating. well. again, I don't come to eating through the lens of knowing much about Chinese medicine. Certainly this time of year, I cannot have cold food. Yeah, (laughs) I can't, and it definitely impacts my health. And when I first started, I mean, I've dabbled, I've studied some Chinese medicine just out of pure pleasure, but it was similar to when I studied Ayurveda. It was so empowering. Because through the Western lens, we're never taught to slow down right? from a physical standpoint, but also that our bodies will change and that the things that we need, I guess the things that we need don't come from that regimented calorie in versus calorie out perspective.
1: No, we need different things depending on the day, the time of the day, mm-hmm. the season, the year. There's countless. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And when we honor that, we are at our best, at least for me, I can say I'm at my best physically and emotionally. Now, as we enter into spring, the end of February, when this is going to air, I find for me, that's the hardest season. That's the hardest transition of the year for my body. I don't know if it's the change from cold to kind of warm and damp, but it's often when I get colds or sinus-y kind of stuff. How do we support that transition? So a lot of it comes from
1: just what we do over the winter and really what we do year round because Mm. preparing for winter is really what we do in fall. Mm. (laughs) What we do in fall is supported by what we do in summer and so on and so forth. But in winter, if we really focus on stews and slow-cooked meals, avoiding raw foods, avoiding cold drinks, avoiding dairy you know, that creates a lot of dampness, especially cold ice cream and things like that. If we can focus on a specific diet in our winter time, then we can be more fortified for the transition into spring. Now, the transition into spring is difficult for a lot of people. And it's somewhat inevitable, I feel like to a certain degree, because of the way that the energy shifts. Hmm. Part of it is that like back and forth between the cold and becoming warm. And so, that is kind of what's called like a Xiaoyang phase. It's like an in-between. It's like a half in, half out. So then our body has to like acclimate back and forth to be able to accommodate both the cold weather and this increase of warmth. And what a lot of people do is like, it's been really cold and then we have one warm day and they Mm. run outside and they're like, oh my God, yes, the sun and the t-shirts are on and like, I'm going to be warm and love this weather. And then the breeze runs, and it's a little cool still because it's still winter. Mm -hmm. And then their pores are open. Their body is more susceptible to literally, in Chinese medicine, believe invasion of cold, Mm -hmm. invasion of cold, invasion of wind. And spring, moving into spring is a really windy time. And it's interesting because spring is correlated with the wood element, and it's correlated with the liver as the yin organ and the gallbladder as the yang organ. And if you think about it, like if you think of wood, like a tree with its branches out and the way that wind affects it, you know, Mm -hmm. like it's very much related to wind and, the other piece that I've always explained to patients is like a lot of people get very aggravated at that time of the year, where it's like they just want it to be spring, they want to be warm, and oh, everything's so frustrating. And like, and like they're, yeah. they, you know, they're still kind of internal, but they're wanting to be external again. Mm. It's that half in, half
0: out. Totally. But if we
1: think about what's happening in the soil, like the ground is still very cold, and the sprouts are starting to push up. The wood energy is starting to push up through the cold. Earth, but it's still frozen. So it creates this friction that creates heat and aggravation. And it's like, and that happens in our bodies. Mm -hmm. Our bodies are a little tighter because of the cold. So our tendons, which is associated with the wood element, they're more likely to get pulled or torn or affected as we start to shift from the cold weather into the warmer weather. But also in the cold weather, if we're trying to be too active, our tendons and ligaments are very cold and mm. they're tightened. And so we're more likely to injure ourselves if we try to be too active in the wintertime mm-hmm. because we're supposed to move slow. So, so many patients talk about their aggravation moving into spring and the colds and then this and that. And I always find it really entertaining. I mean, not like I'm <laughs> laughing at them, but it's still, enter- I get the same way. I get super aggravated and all angsty and, the liver energy the liver emotion is anger you know so like so it's like it makes complete sense like winter the emotion of the kidneys is fear so it's like Mm. everything's internal you go inside and like you might be pulling up some things that don't feel super comfortable and then we start moving into spring and things can start to move but it's aggravating and then we have to like feel the stuff you know (laughs) And it just, it all fits into place. Like once you start looking at it, you can see like, oh, yep, okay, that's totally on par with this time of the season. And if it's not, then that's telling too. If someone is experiencing a different thing that would really fit in a different time of the year, then that shows an imbalance. Mm -hmm. You know, we should be moving if all things line up with how the planet is moving. However, if we also look at nature and we look at what's happening in climate, things are pretty wild and the earth is sick, like things are imbalanced. So it makes complete sense that within us, we're going to be imbalanced because we're again, a reflection of what's happening in nature.
0: It feels so simple as you describe this, you're describing this so eloquently. And first of all, it's so liberating as a human to know that these things that we feel, these energies that we feel are completely normal. Yeah. I don't think we're taught that, but also just as simple as that we are a reflection of what's happening. If we can just sit with that, that one little piece of knowledge, how much that informs me as to my choices? How much does that? We're recording this in the middle of winter and I have been sleeping so much more. And it's like, that's right. That's yes. correct. <laughs> yeah. I mean,
1: people start getting really concerned, like, oh, I'm just so tired and I'm sleeping. Somewhere. It's like, no, you should. That's, that's correct. Like, yeah. give yourself that space. This is the time to reboot. This is the time of rest so that as things start to really grow, both energetically and physically in mm-hmm. our internal mm-hmm. and external lives, that we have the fortitude to do it. We have the reserves. Winter is about the reserves, right? So like the fall is you harvest all this good stuff. And then you have all of these reserves to get you through winter Mm -hmm. and to properly nourish yourself with those reserves so that come spring, you have the energy to do that movement forward. Mm -hmm. A lot of times why people get sick is because they don't have it. Mm -hmm. They don't have the reserves. Their body has been drained by being too busy, by eating the wrong foods, or I don't like saying wrong, but foods that are not as supportive And and just kind of doing the same thing that they do all year round. Yes, right. And we can't do that. Like, if we want to have longevity and we want to also create a new kind of mentality around our day-to-day lives and around our connection to nature and to other people, we have to move with the seasons. And that comes with eating more locally. That comes with following, of course, the weather patterns and just having more awareness of those things. And saying no to the busy, mm. busy life that is usually pushed upon us in winter and yep. say like, there is plenty of time in the rest of the year to be busy like that. Mm. Now is the time to prepare so we can do all of those things. And you had asked about what can you do to protect yourself with like colds and things like that mm-hmm. moving in the spring. And I said a little bit as far as just making sure to eat the right foods, but a lot of it is keeping yourself covered, keeping yourself bundled preventing yourself from getting exposed to too much wind or cold as the Mm. sun sets and it gets a little chillier. But there's also all kinds of things from, you know, of course, meditation and movement Mm -hmm. and then doing different things depending on the time of the year to properly move into that phase. And of course, there's supplements and all that. But again, it's individualized. What one person needs is going to be very different than what another person needs. But a blanket statement would be like, keep yourself warm, keep yourself covered. And when you start moving again, move slowly, like Mm. get into movement with a consciousness around letting your tissues, letting your tendons defrost. Mm. You know, you can't just put it like a frozen chicken directly in the oven and cook it, right? right. You have to put it in water, which is yin, you know, like you let it defrost slowly, or you put it in the fridge and let it do it slowly.
0: So we can't just rush into things and expect for our bodies to just bounce back. That is so beautiful and I'm so visual and that just makes all the sense in the world. So for you personally, since we are all individual bodies, as we head into March, what are some of the foods that you crave, that you love to feed yourself? And this is, for all of you listening, this is just a very personal preference through the lens of Emily.
1: Yeah. I mean, for right now, I'm still doing lots of warming foods and stews and soups are my all-time favorite. Like even for breakfast, I'll put an egg on it and be like, that's Mm, breakfast. Me too. (laughs) Lots of like congee, rice porridge, grain porridge. And then I'll maintain that honestly with living in New York. I grew up in Florida and so it was very different there Mm -hmm. with how I would live. But living in New York, I maintain the warm foods far into April. I do start introducing like sprouts and greens more into my diet, but I, I'm not one to really do a lot of raw food. My gut also does not agree with it, it almost a year round. If I eat salads and things in the summertime, I have to be conscious of how much I do that. I never do smoothies for breakfast ever, period. If I do, it's in the height of summer and I still put ginger in it and cinnamon, mm-hmm. you know? So that's personally for me. In general, I recommend nobody does smoothies for breakfast anyway, <laughs> but. A I lot certainly of people can't with, do it. Either. Yeah. A lot of people <laughs> look at me like what the hell am I supposed to do then? <laughs> you know, but it's fine. And so I continue doing bone broth. Bone broth is a yeah. big staple for me throughout mm-hmm. the winter and into spring. Yeah. Honestly, I I would do bone broth from when the weather starts cooling in September all the way through
0: April and part of May. Yep. Yeah, I have bone broth every morning as well. It's one of my favorite for my specific body. Yeah. It's though I'm also like a warm food person. And just like you, I love a savory soup or stew for breakfast. I love warming things, but bone broth I could do all year round. I just love that warmth that it provides me. And I do feel like it energizes me as well. I have one more question for you. And I just want to say thank you, Emily. I have learned so much and I feel like I'm so much more empowered and expanded to have access to this other way of seeing not only our bodies, but the foods we eat and the world we live in. And this connection is so important. And in this Western world that you and I live in, that connection is not taught. And so you've just explained things so eloquently and so simply. But this last question is just super fun and it has nothing to do with any of this, (laughs) but it is. If it was your last meal on Earth, what would it be? Oh man,
1: <laughs> I love Japanese food. Honestly, like Asian food in general. Mm-hmm. I I don't know that I could say a specific thing. Um. Oh man, that's so hard. I love food so much. How <laughs> could I just choose one?
0: <laughs> I always say my what I would say. Like when I I had to do this for myself on the first episode, and I said what I will say right now will change in an hour. Yeah, like My favorite food changes by the hour according to how I feel. So you can just say whatever is right now, if you had, if I handed you a plate, what would it be? Oh, man.
1: You know, it's so funny because like now it's what's really strong in my mind is like my mom's, of all things, meatloaf with mashed potatoes and green beans. (laughs) (laughs) My mom started doing this thing once she had, once I had my kids, her grandkids and she started making what she calls a foot loaf. and she oh, makes it into the shape of a foot. She didn't do this when I was a kid, thank God. And then makes the toenails out of onions.
0: Oh, stop. <laughs> oh, it's That's really crazy. a foot.
1: Oh, really a foot. And then, And then when it cooks and it's got like the red sauce on it, it's like it's been cut oh, wow. off at the ankle. And then the toenails are all like weird because the onions got cooked. <laughs> you have <laughs> to me send funny. me a photo of this. It's the funniest thing. My kids get a trip out of it. Apparently, I do, too. <laughs> But it's so good. And it's like that nourishing meat and potato Mm. and veggie. I mean, I'm very Irish too. So like Mm. all of that is just like nourished goodness. But I think that would maybe be my last meal.
0: I am here for it. That sounds amazing. Well, thank you so much. I think that everyone who listens is going to get so much out of this episode. Where can people find you if they want to connect with you.
1: I'd like to say thank you. You know, I've never been asked to do a podcast. And I mean, I've talked with you enough to where mm-hmm. it's, ta- it's pleasant and easy, you know. So thank you for this opportunity. Mm-hmm. And as far as finding me, my clinic is in Beacon, New York. It's called Valley Spirit Acupuncture and Internal Arts. So we practice acupuncture and in Chinese internal arts or martial arts. And it's also a community mm-hmm. space for all kinds of things. And the website is Visaya.com. So that's V-S-A-I-A. And we're on Instagram, Valley Spirit Acupuncture and Facebook and all that kind of thing. Awesome.
0: Well, thank you again. And I hope to have you back as the seasons change. And maybe we can delve into some of the other ways we can support ourselves in reflection to what's going on on the outside. I would love that. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. If this work resonates with you in any way, you can support it by leaving a review or comment or sharing it with friends. Also, you can sign up for the newsletter, Mind, Body, Spirit, Food. And by becoming a paid member for just $5 a month, you help fund this entire project. Thank you so much to all of you who are already subscribed, especially to those paid subscribers. This work could not happen without you. I'm Nikki Sizemore, and as always, remember to nourish yourself with intention and love.